I'm about to speak with Ashley Bratcher. You'll be watching her this weekend in the unplanned movie as she plays the role of Abby Johnson. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, This is really interesting, friends, if you've been following what's been happening in Chicago with the Justice Smollett case. We'll talk about that in a moment, a bunch of other things to talk with you about. And at the bottom of the hour, I will be joined by Ashley Bratcher, who plays the lead role in Unplanned. I can't imagine how busy she is, how many interviews she's doing, but we will get a good few minutes with her. You don't want to miss that interview. Call your friends. Tell them to join in. Welcome to the broadcast, Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society in chaos and a church all too often in compromise. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. If you missed my latest article, I, I was praying last night, Lord, should I write on anything? Should I, is there anything that I have to add to the Mueller investigation the no collusion conclusion, as I call it. Uh, I'm not an expert on the legal dealings there. I'm not a Washington insider. And and I felt in my heart that I could say something worthwhile about what happens when you believe a lie. Have you ever had that happen to you? And then one lie leads to another lie, which leads to another lie, which leads to another lie. And and now you've buried yourself in a sea of lies and, and you really have no way out. You start to believe the lies. Have you ever dealt with it, maybe disciplining one of your kids? Uh, you don't believe me. As if you're doing something wrong when they're the ones that, that are lying and then they, they get themselves all worked up. You know, we, we can actually believe our own lies. We become self-deceived. So it's been interesting to watch some of the media reaction. There have been some apologies. Uh, there's a poignant one that I quoted from an op-ed writer on The Hill where she says, look, we blew it. We spread information incorrectly and we did not do the research we should have done and, and on and on. And I was like, no, no, there's more going on. There's, there's more we're going to uncover it, et cetera. So it's a wake-up call, friends, to all of us. I'm, I'm not being moralizing here, and I'm, I'm not trying to make everything always about us, right? There, there are some things that were wrong. There was spreading of misinformation. There, was, there were attacks on a sitting president and accusations of him committing treason and on and on and on and fear-mongering. That was all wrong. The media acted irresponsibly, but all of us can believe lies. All of us can be so caught up in our own narrative that when the truth comes, we're not willing to see it. There's an illustration I gave in the article. When I was a little boy in elementary school, grade school, some of you would call it, one of my friends lived down the block and we would walk over it and take the same bus uh, to school as we got a little bit older. And he, he was, he was, uh, woke up on a Saturday afternoon. He, he fell asleep on a Saturday afternoon, took a nap, fell asleep on a Saturday afternoon and thought it was a school day. Thought he woke up and it was a school day. 
So he gets dressed quick and he starts to leave. And why is my dad in the wrong place? Why is my dad sitting here at his desk in, instead of at work or on the way to work? Huh. As he walks down the street, kids are on the street playing and stuff. And he's wondering, well, why are they all in the wrong place? Why are they all playing when they should be on the way to, the, to, to, to school? And then he looks up at the sky and thinks, why is the sun in the wrong place? And then he realizes, oh, oh, the sun's not in the wrong place. Reality strikes. Reality hits. He realizes the sun is not in the wrong place. I'm in the wrong place. I got my days confused. That can happen to any of us. The scary thing is when we end up saying the sun is in the wrong place. The scary thing is when we will go to any lengths to perpetuate our myth because our very reputation is tied in with it. You say, well, Mike, you're, you're, you're a religious believer. You know, Dr. Brown, you're a devout guy, and you believe things really strongly. How do you know you haven't been deceived? Well, I, I give you a, a list of many reasons that I would say I haven't been deceived. All right, but let's say I'm talking to a Muslim. I'm talking to a religious Jew. I'm, I'm talking to a, a liberal Protestant. I'm talking to a traditional Catholic. And so all different perspectives, right? And, and we all believe in God. We all claim to believe in God. And we all claim to be doing God's will and wanting to do God's will. So who's to say who's right? Who's to say who's wrong? So we have our apologetics. We have our arguments. We have our principles and all that. But there's a prayer that an ultra-Orthodox rabbi and I agreed to pray years ago. So I'm looked at as a missionary to my Jewish people. He's looked at as a counter-missionary. So for almost 20 years, we've dialogued on and off. For almost 20 years, we have challenged one another's beliefs in an ongoing way. I have the utmost respect for, for my friend. And he agreed to pray this prayer. We were chatting, and I proposed the wording, and he said yes. So he didn't make a vow to do it. In other words, I don't vow to do this every day, but as it comes to mind, et cetera, and I, and I know he's prayed it many times I have. And and. Let's, let's call my friend Shmuel, all right? We'll, we'll create a name for him, Shmuel. So the way the prayer would be, if I'm praying it, is, God, I pray for Shmuel, and I pray for me, that you would give us the courage to follow you and your truth wherever it leads, whatever the cost or consequences, whether by life or by death. He said, oh, absolutely. In other words, that's how firmly he believes what he believes and how deeply he wants to do the will of God. And that's my heart. You say, well, you still differ. Yeah, we still differ, but I'm confident that as we earnestly continue to pray that and mean it, that God will illuminate, that God will reveal error, that God will confirm truth. All right, so it's just really important, friends. Look, if, if this report came out with definitive evidence, definitive, undeniable, that President Trump or then candidate Trump colluded with Vladimir Putin, colluded with Russia to win the election. I, I would have to say publicly, look, I, I've always been aware of the president's faults and shortcomings, shortcomings during the primaries. I was his chief critic of his. I voted for him, but had reservations since the election. I stuck. wish you wouldn't say certain things about deceased Senator McCain. Just leave it. Move, move on. I, I've not turned a blind eye to his faults, but I would say, boy, that's a shocker. I did not expect that. I did not see that coming. I was 100% sure there was no collusion. That is a real disappointment. And, and obviously, I have to reevaluate where I stand in terms of the president. If that's you, you work with a foreign power, you collude with a foreign power, 
to win an election in an illegal way. That's that's serious. That's serious. Well, it didn't ha- the, the opposite happened. The opposite narrative took place. I said yesterday I was going to talk about the Mueller investigation anymore. I, I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on our reaction. That's all I'm encouraging you to do is to be truthful. The sun, going back to that story with my friend, the sun is not in the wrong place. All right. There are certain things. Reality hasn't changed. So <clears throat> just want to throw that out. All right. Jesse Smollett case. The, <coughs> excuse me, the only reason, the only reason this got any attention, the only reason that America cared about this was because of the narrative. You've got a black gay TV actor in a prominent TV series empire. No, I've not seen the series. I haven't seen most TV series, but prominent series. Yes. All right. So you've got a black gay actor who plays that role on Empire. And he claims to be assaulted by white guys wearing MAGA hats. All right. Make America great again. Trump supporters want to get rid of people like him. Right. They're they're homophobic and they're racist. That's why it got national attention. If it was just that this actor was assaulted, that'd be one thing. But assaulted in Chicago, there's a lot of crime in Chicago. You know, a lot of things happen there. So that would have been news, but not big. This is what made it big news. The narrative from day one was completely unbelievable and, and, and strained credulity from day one. Then it turns out more evidence comes out. Now there are charges being brought against him where he could potentially spend decades in jail. I don't think anyone expected him to get a sentence like that. And then... The prosecutor throws everything out. Gone. Goodbye. Record white clean. Well, in, well, he's going to forfeit his $10,000 bond to the city. And he did previous community service uh, in an unrelated matter. So we'll, we'll just wipe the slate clean. I'm looking at a headline, whitewash of justice. Rahm Emanuel, Chicago police boss, furious. Demand accountability after DA drops Smollett charges. This is wild. And, and here are my remaining questions. <clears throat> First. First, for all those who were willing to crucify all white Americans or all supporters of Trump for a crime that never happened, all right, where, where was the recognition of wrong and jumping ahead? Oh, when it's the other, look, I don't care which direction it goes. I don't care which direction the false accusations go, the racism goes, the, the hatred goes, the bigotry goes. I'm going to call it out and expose it. In this case, it was going in the, dire- in the direction of Trump supporters. It, it would be like some, some white teenage gal claiming that she got gang raped by, you know, that she was wearing a, a you know, Trump T-shirt and she got gang raped by four black men. And they were saying, we hate Trump. We hate whites. And, and, and it stirred up all this anger towards black America. And that, I, I'd, I'd be outraged over that. I'd be calling that out. I'd be speaking out against it. All right. And it's just our response to the report and, and people believing it and, passing judgment. But all the evidence says that the assault, the whole thing never happened. All right. Now, now you have the police, the mayor from the headlines I'm reading here, furious, want to know what's going on. Why do you dismiss all charges saying, yeah, well, he forfeited his $10,000 bond and he did previous community service. If you got assaulted, why are you forfeiting your bond? If you got assaulted, why does previous community service alleviate you from any when you're the victim here's a woman gets raped and 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 
Now they said, okay, well, she, she accused this guy of rape, and actually it's a true accusation, but because she did community service, we're letting her go. What, what do you mean letting her go? She's the victim. And, and what about the Nigerian guys that confessed to doing it but said they were paid to? I mean, obviously the whole report's a hoax. That's, that's self-evident that the thing's a hoax. But whatever in the world's going on here, what an absolute travesty. And I have no idea what Jesse Smollett believes or doesn't believe, where he's telling the truth, where he's lying, where he's self-deceived. But I'd really like to see him have an encounter with God that whatever happened in this case, he would really know the Lord. That would be wonderful. But right now, what a mess. We're getting back. I got a few minutes to talk to you about the end times. All right? So I'm going to open up the phones, 866-34-TRUTH. If you've been trying to get through to me to talk about pre-trip rapture, end times, we got a break before we bring on Ashley. 866-34-TRUTH. Give me a call. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I want you to know that not for a moment was it in vain. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I've been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time honestly one of the worst of my entire life. But I'm a man of faith, and I'm a man that has knowledge of my history, and I would not bring my family, our lives, or the movement through a fire like this. I just wouldn't. Yeah, so Fox News Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel stood shoulder to shoulder with the city's police force Tuesday afternoon, denouncing prosecutors for dropping charges against Empire star Jesse Smollett and slamming the episode as a whitewash of Justice. Wow. Wow. Where's the accountability in the system? You cannot have because of a person's position. One set of rules applied to them. Another set of rules applied to everyone else. Emmanuel said our officers did hard work day in and day out. Countless hours working to unwind what actually happened that night. The city saw its reputation dragged through the mud. It's not just the officer's work, but the work of the grand jury that made a decision based on only a sliver of the evidence presented because of the judge's decision. None of that evidence will ever be made public. The police chief, I don't know what's unusual for the state's attorney, but we found out about when you all did. Prosecutors have their discretion, of course. We still have work, have to work with the state attorney's office. We'll have conversations after this. But Johnson said unequivocally, at the end of the day, it was Smollett who committed this hoax. I don't doubt that for a split second in in terms of the whole thing being a hoax. I do not doubt it for a split second. All right. 866-34-TRUTH. Let me read to you Luke 21:36. This is often quoted as a, a verse that demonstrates a pre-trib rapture. Actually, as Craig Keener demonstrates categorically in the context, it's anything but that. But what's interesting is this. I, I was just listening to the audio book and, and refreshing my mind on, on some of the arguments in the book and some that Craig uses. But stay awake, Jesus says to his disciples at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Notice those words, have strength to escape. You don't need strength to be suddenly raptured out. You don't need strength to 
suddenly here you are and you're gone. You need strength to endure. You need strength to flee. So in the first context, the disciples fleeing from Jerusalem when the Roman armies came in, all right? And they were they were not they did not disappear, okay? In the midst they they still went through suffering, they just didn't get killed. Having strength to escape that does not apply to a rapture. Just to point that out. By the way, by the way, uh, 31 reviews already. The book's out one week, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Craig Keener, and yours truly, Why We Don't Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. Book's been out for a week, 31 reviews already, which is excellent. And out of the critical reviews, not a single one actually engages accurately with our content. Not one. Not one. I'm, I'm expecting those. I welcome those. The, the latest negative review, and the reviews are overwhelmingly positive, which we really appreciate. But the most recent negative review is a scathing attack on us for being divisive. It rebukes us and for not glorifying Christ. And then it says, but the review, of course, is to the glory of Christ. Talk about blind spot and hypocrisy. But what's interesting is through our, our whole book, beginning to end, we honor those we differ with. Beginning to it's almost overkill. How many times we say, look, there are scholars, friends of ours who differ with us. There are colleagues we work with who differ with us. There are some of the finest people on the planet that, who differ with us throughout the whole book. Whenever we talk about it, we always say we don't divide over it. Always. Always. So it, it's, it's amazing. I don't know if the person actually read it or just got so incensed that we had the nerve to write it. And then it's just filled with personal conversion stories. At the beginning of the book, we have a sh- real short section where we each tell our story, how we came to believe what we believe. <laughs> and, and then, and then the guys have said, cause we don't glorify Christ. Like, if you can read, not afraid of the antichrist without seeing Jesus glorified, without seeing the King glorified, without seeing him glorified in his second coming, <laughs> excuse me, without seeing him glorified in his protection and keeping us and, and, and the saints who endure and martyrdom for his glory. And by his grace, we overcome. If you can read this book without seeing Jesus glorified, I'll get you a new pair of glasses. How's that? 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let us go to Christian in New Hampshire. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Um, so I had been uh, reading the book of Revelation, and I looked into um, the Whore of Babylon, mm-hmm. and I noticed um, a lot of parallels between Babylon and the book Hosea, um, where uh, Hosea is talking about Israel and the relationship with God, and I was—it's just been had it. I've just had it on my mind that um, possibly Babylon could be in Israel, maybe Jerusalem or Tel Aviv, um, and I just wanted to know your thoughts on that because reading yeah, through so, it just sounds so. Got it. Yeah. So first thing is when Israel commits idolatry. It is depicted as a wife who goes whoring after other men. You have powerful mm-hmm. passages like Jeremiah 2, like Ezekiel 16. I mean, they're quite graphic in their imagery. And the book of Hosea, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, even the situation with his own wife. So for Israel to be presented as, as whoring after other gods, yeah. prostituting herself to other lovers. Yeah, that image certainly uh, occurs. There's, there's no question about mm-hmm. it. And Jerusalem's leaders in Isaiah 1 are likened to the leaders of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sins. So the, the prophets were very scathing in their criticism. Uh, it seems, though, 
that the way Babylon is described. Now, now some would try to say that it, it's it's Israel or apostate Israel or something like that. But the way that uh, Babylon is described, others have tried to argue it's the Catholic Church. Others have tried to argue it's the world system. Others have tried to argue it's America. And when you try to break it down, you know, when it speaks of all the blood of the prophets and martyrs are found in her, you know, obviously it's, it's not America, for, for example. Uh, you know, the right. reformers were convinced that the Pope was the Antichrist. So, Christian, I think the right thing to do is not to say that Babylon the Great is Jerusalem or is Israel or is Tel Aviv with its promiscuity and the most gay-friendly city in the world and all that stuff, etc. But mm-hmm. rather to say that there are different images that are used. There is the image of, of whoring after other gods and, and the great prostitute or the, or, or the great whore, things like that, that come from Old Testament imagery. Most of the verses in the book of Revelation draw from Old Testament imagery, but that Babylon is something else that's being spoken of. And, and clearly because there's so much suffering of the Jewish people uh, over the centuries, and even in the book of Revelation, we, we understand that there's suffering of the Jewish people and suffering of the church uh, to make Israel or the Judaism or the Jewish people, the great whore of Babylon really breaks down on many levels. But I, I appreciate the, the thinking and what you're looking at. There's spiritual application for sure. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Tamika in Kansas City. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hi. Um, hey. I have a question about the, um, the 144,000 that are named out of each uh, tribe of Israel and the, the seal that they're given. Um, I don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, but I was wondering if that seal of protection, if that's going to be like a literal thing specific to physical um, Jews, and if that's the case, would is there like a would there be a separate type of seal for uh, believers that aren't physically Jews? Yeah, so let's let's break this down on a few levels, all right? We have in Ezekiel, the ninth chapter, a picture of destruction coming on Jerusalem in, in the days of Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And there, a mark is put, it's like an X marks the spot. A mark is put on the foreheads of those who grieve and mourn in Jerusalem. So when the destroying angels come through and smite, they don't touch those people. So we, we do have a mark being put on someone for protection. Zephaniah chapter 2, verse 3, God protects his people, hides them in the midst of his wrath being poured out. End of Isaiah 26, come and hide in the inner chamber until the wrath passes by. So those pictures are there. And if we take, uh, if we take these as literally 144,000 Jewish people being saved at the end of the age, uh, you could say, does it apply there? But, but here's where I, I wouldn't interpret it in that way, uh, in terms of a seal of protection. Uh, number one, as I, as I keep reading, I see in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces, so there's worship. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
In other words, they're being martyred for their faith, a multitude being martyred of believers in this time of great tribulation. So my understanding is that this passage is giving us a vision of the fullness of Israel and the fullness of the Gentiles. So the massive turning of the nations to the Lord at the end of the age, along with great apostasy, great persecution, difficulty, and many being martyred, and the turning of the Jewish people, all Israel being saved, symbolized by the 12,000, 12 times 12 from each tribe. Can't be dogmatic on that, but that's how I understand it. But we know that many will also be martyred, as our brothers and sisters have been martyred through the centuries and are being martyred to this minute. There'll be great martyrdom at the end of the age, but great victory, great encouragement, great overcoming in the midst of it. Hey, thank you for the call. God bless. Tamika. of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, we've been talking about Unplanned for weeks now. March 29th, this weekend, you need to be there with your families to see a movie that some have said for the pro-life movement could be the Uncle Tom's Cabin of our day. I'm delighted to have now on the air with me in the midst of what must be an unbelievably busy schedule, Ashley Bratcher. You may have seen Ashley in different redemptive movies, uh, Minutes in Heaven, War Room, Badge of Faith, or some of them. But now she plays Abby Johnson, did a wonderful job of playing Abby Johnson, and has some amazing stories to tell in terms of her own life and how she is even in this movie. Ashley, thanks so much for taking time to join us today. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Now, now Ashley, uh, you know the implications of taking this role. You know how Hollywood and the secular media are going to react to this, this incredibly powerful movie. Why did, why did you do this when this could potentially jeopardize your acting career? You know, I just don't really believe that. I believe that God is greater. I never stepped into this role with fear whatsoever. I think that, that other people had more of a concern than I did. Um, there's scripture in Revelation that says God can open doors that no man can close, and I really stand by that. I think that God is just going to honor this effort to step into my calling and to serve Him by, you know, doing this movie to bring glory to Him. So I'm not really concerned in that aspect. And then speaking to the artistic side, Hollywood has to acknowledge that this is an incredible story. It's yeah. a female-driven script. Abby is a dynamic character. It is a role that stretches an actor emotionally, physically. Um, it, it is a really incredible role that any actor should be ecstatic to have because there's so many elements that are challenging. So if Hollywood will acknowledge it for what it is, they have to say that, okay, this is an interesting story. Yeah. And by the way, I'm, I'm with you totally. I, you know, I play the devil's advocate. Here, <laughs> there, but I, I'm with you totally in terms of faith and confidence and, and God and God's hand. But just, just this single okay, role yeah. alone, you'll accomplish more than most actors do in 10 lifetimes. I and mean, let's, 
let's let's put the truth out there. Uh, Ashley, yeah. I, I I've been involved in pro life work for for many many years, and I, I've got friends on the front lines of pro life work for, for years. But the timing of this coming out, this all coming together at this point, I mean, this is the hand of God, isn't it? Absolutely. I completely believe that this is divinely orchestrated. We are not marketing geniuses. I wish that I could say we planned for it to come out at this time, but it, it wasn't our our intention at all. It was all God's movement and His timing, because with this topic being such a hot conversation right now across the United States, it's the perfect time to have the conversation and to bring people face-to-face with abortion. Yeah, and, and, and the way it's done, I mean, the whole R rating thing on, on top of it, I just look at that as God's hand to stir up more controversy, to get more people talking about it, mm-hmm. the, the outrage of it. You know, over the weekend, I'd written about K-Love, the you know, massive Christian stations. They weren't going to carry the ad. Then they, they said they're going to carry it. Each of these controversies, to me, is, is bringing more attention to this. What was it like for you spiritually, emotionally, to play this role? It is the closest that I have ever been to God in my entire life. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. I got a five-hour notice to get on a plane and head out to Oklahoma for seven to eight weeks of filming, and I had no idea really who Abby was. I mean, I I knew her testimony, and that was what had compelled me to really want to be a part of the story, but I had not read her book yet. I had not done a ton of research because that's a lot of work to put into something that you don't know that you have for sure. So as soon as I got the role, that was when I really dug in. I was listening to her book. I was researching everything I could find out about abortion, fetal development, the pro-life movement. And because of that, I had to I had to really lean into God because I'm learning lines on top of it. And to really do my best work, I had to just prepare and then say, okay, God, I've done the work that I need to do to prepare for this scene. Holy Spirit, come and please take over. And in, in, in allowing myself to do that, I really felt like God worked through me, and He brought everyone on our set together, and we were all there for the same purpose. There was a sense of peace on set. Never once did I experience any sort of confrontation or, con- or controversy while filming. It was such a beautiful experience for me. And, you know, I, I didn't know who Abby Johnson was until about two years ago when I got a call one day on the radio from a woman who was a Planned Parenthood director in the same state, but it was an anonymous call with no location. And she was a Christian and she was struggling and should Mm -hmm. she be there or not? And I told her, look, this is the last day you work there. You have to leave. Explain why. As we began to talk more, she broke down sobbing and she talked about the, the going back into the POC room, the products of conception and, and, you know, sobbing over the air and their little baby parts. So, you know, she came out, friends helped her financially. She's doing great. She's public with her testimony. That's when I found out about Abby Johnson and how many people she's helped and how many workers in these clinics have, have now left. And, and yet when you, when you went back, that was a surprise. I, I don't want to tell, you know, give, give things away to people, but Abby Johnson, how hard, hard it was Abby in the midst of this. And, and here you are, you love the Lord. You're serving Jesus now. How do you get yourself to portray someone with such a hard heart? I talked to Abby a lot about her life prior to converting to becoming pro-life because that was a challenge, because that was something outside of myself that I had to understand. But there are elements of Abby's life prior that all of us can relate to. 
she thought that she was helping women. She had a compassionate heart. So I wouldn't say that her heart was hardened. I just say that she was blinded to the truth. Planned Parenthood had done a great job of perpetuating the lie that it was just a clump of cells. It's just fetal tissue that they were serving women by getting them out of crisis pregnancy. So she believed that she was doing what was right. When we came to the point that we were filming the POC scene, the products of conception scene or pieces of children as the clinic joked, I had a really difficult time getting myself to that point because looking at that, that baby, looking at the face of that baby, even though I knew it was not real, oh man, it, it really broke my heart. I had to have a conversation about Abby and how she viewed it. And she just really told me that I had to think of it as, as a science class to basically think of it Mm. as no different than dissecting an animal in science class. And that was heartbreaking. It was a hard pill to swallow, but I just had to channel that and push through. Yeah, and I had I had Robia on last week and talked about how, how she did such a good job of being such a person that we did not like in the movie. I, I just want to share this one oh, yeah. thing with, with you that, that will encourage you, Ashley. I mean, you'll hear this over and over, but I want you to hear this uh, out of my lips. And, and, and then I want to find out about that call you had with, with your mom. But I, I, I'd gotten an advanced release of the movie to see and I knew about the R rating. It had already written about that, et cetera. And I've seen many times posted pictures of aborted babies. So I'm quite prepared in terms of emotionally and all this. So I, I sat down in front of my mm-hmm. computer and, and I told my wife, Nancy, I'm, I'm going to watch uh, the movie. And I thought, okay, any disturbing stuff's later in, in the movie. So I'm sitting there having, having mm-hmm. salad, just kind of watching. And, and then it's, it's the scene where, where, where you see what you see. And I, mm-hmm. I, I lost it, Ashley. I was sobbing uncontrollably. I, I took about 15 minutes to try to compose myself. I walked out to tell yeah. my wife, Nancy, and scared her because I was sobbing and I couldn't talk. She thought, who died? What happened? I got to my class that night at our ministry school, began to share my heart with our students. We had two and a half hours of praying and weeping and wailing and crying out. And, and your response, Ashley, the, the uh, you know, it's so real. Obviously, actors act. I understand that. But when when you are there sobbing in in the bathroom, how how real was that to you at that moment? Oh, so real! I believe every every second of it. Abby's testimony alone, just speaking the story, is heartbreaking. And when I'm acting the scene, I didn't have anything to look at. There was just a monitor with a little sticky note for my my eyeline where I was supposed to look. So as I was doing the scene, I just kept repeating in my head over and over what she had described, and it was heartbreaking. I mean, I I really spent a lot of time researching, looking at ultrasound images, videos. Um, YouTube has an incredible lack of censorship. You can pretty much see anything you want to see. I allowed myself to see a lot of things that were hard to watch. So when it came time to do that scene, my heart really did break, and it it was a lot of the Holy Spirit just working through me and praying, God, break my heart for what breaks yours, because this is such a critical moment and I need you to move through me. Yeah, I can only imagine the reactions that are going to be taking place in movie theaters all across America in, in the days ahead. So you're, you're in the midst of this short notice. You don't get a lot of chance to tell your family about what's going on. And uh, your mom, you hear from your mom as you're in the midst of, of doing the scenes. Tell us about that call. 
Yeah, like you mentioned, I didn't get much notice. Nobody really knew what I was doing because when I got to Oklahoma, I had to hit the ground running. There were so many pre-production meetings, um, wardrobe, hair, makeup, and we were shooting in four days. It was time to go, go, go. So when my mom called me on the fourth day, I think it was Saturday when I spoke with her, uh, I was really hesitant to share the story with her because she had shared with me that when she was younger, she'd had an abortion of her own. And I, I had known that for a long time. And it was just a, ca- a casual conversation that we didn't really go into detail about. But I didn't want her to think that I was judging her, that this movie was about that, because it's not. It's really a story of, of grace, forgiveness, Christ's love, and healing. So I was really proud to tell Abby's story. And as I started sharing Abby's testimony with my mother, she completely broke down. She was sobbing through the phone and she said to me, Ashley, I need to tell you something you never knew before. What you don't know is when I was 19, I was in the abortion clinic for the second time. The They had called my name back. I was being examined by a very pregnant nurse on the table. I got really sick to my stomach and I knew I couldn't go through with it. So I stood up, I walked out and I chose to have you. Mm. Well, That was a pretty profound moment. I had literally no idea whatsoever. She had never shared that with me before. So for me, it was confirmation that God had really planned my steps from conception. I didn't even have words. I was speechless because I was just in awe that God had crafted my story to align with Abby's story. I was, again, overwhelmed by the presence of God. Not once did I feel angry at my mom or bitter or hurt that she would share that with me. I was really grateful because it gave me confidence. All right, talk about living out the role. All right, Ashley, just stick stick with us two more minutes. I've got one question for you, then you get on with your busy day. Thanks so much. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Sorry to bother you, but any extra person in the back room, are you free? And it was like it was twisting and fighting for its life. We commend the souls of these hundreds of children. And Lord, we pray to end abortion. I really appreciate what you've done for us. I'll not forget it. 22,000 abortions. How do I even comprehend that? Rough day at the office. To your dad and me, you are our baby from the moment of conception. We are paying you to be a perfect instrument of corporate policy. We are an abortion provider. I can't be a part of this anymore. Everything that they told us is a lie. Don't underestimate the repercussions of this. You gotta be careful. tell you what's going to happen if you walk through that door. Congratulations. You've made an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. 
Well, congratulations, Ashley. You have done that very thing. There may be parents who say, well, I don't know, R-rated movie or is controversial. Maybe they've got, you know, young teenage kids or others. Well, why do I need to see this? Just speak from your heart uh, to, to our listeners and viewers why, why they should be at the theaters this weekend. If parents don't have this conversation with their children, somebody else is. So if this is something that you feel compelled to stand for, then you need to have your children see what abortion actually is. They will walk out completely changed, and they are the generation that really does have the power to end this. I'm not ashamed to say that I took my nine-year-old son to the premiere in Hollywood. It was difficult for him to watch. Uh, I know the film Inside Out, so it was easy for me to kind of moderate and say, okay, son, this scene is about to get really intense. And if you need to turn away and lean into mommy, we'll close your ears and eyes and we'll get through it together and I'll talk you through it. But he understood everything that was happening. Uh, we've had conversations about abortion. I think it's really important, especially for young men, to understand what what women are going through. And when he walked out of the theater, he got more out of it than some adults I know. He really had questions. It was a conversation started for us where I was able to talk to him and explain answers to him. So I don't recommend that everyone take their nine-year-old. I think that, you know, you have to assess the maturity level of your own children. But this is definitely something that preteens should be seeing. They're getting sex education in public schools, and they're not talking about abortion. That's not part of the curriculum. This is something that parents are going to have to step up, that that leaders, that mentors are going to have to step up and take these young uh, preteens and teenagers too, so that they are getting a full education on what happens. Yeah. Excellent. I, I know I said there was one last question. Let me just depend this. How did no, your okay. role, yeah, your role in this film, I, I want to be sensitive to your time because I, I know you're slammed with interviews this week, but your, your own perspective, how did this affect your perspective as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus going through this experience, playing this role during the research? All it took was hearing Abby's testimony. All it took was the audition and, and having her share her testimony because it's so powerful and convicting. I really felt like the scales had fallen from my eyes, and I realized for the first time that I had been blind, that mm. I had made this kind of ambivalent decision not to feel one way or the other, when in reality, I just wasn't educated. As soon as I knew and I understood what was happening— I was compelled to learn more. I wanted to know everything I could about fetal development, about biblical scripture and what it says about the, start, the beginning of life, where science stands on it. I really wanted to understand it from all different facets. So I committed to doing that. The past year of my life has been committed to being able to be a good activist for the pro-life mo- movement. I want to speak honestly, truthfully, and with knowledge. I think that people have a social responsibility once they have that knowledge to share it with others, but in a loving way. I think you have to be intentional with your words so that you can convict hearts and change minds. Yeah, well, you're, you're, you're doing that in a thousand different ways, and I, I cannot wait to see the impact of this movie. There are a whole lot of people cheering you on, so God bless. Have an amazing week, and, and you're only going to know the real fruit of this uh, in eternity but it's going to be massive. God bless you, Ashley. Amen. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. All right, friends, so glad to 
have Ashley Bratcher with us in a busy week. And I'm sure she's doing more interviews than I've ever done, you know, with a movie coming out. But sometimes you do wall to wall interviews and you're talking about the same stuff over and over and over and over. And obviously you're passionate about it, but it can, it can be tiring. So I really appreciate her being on with us in, in a few days. I don't have the exact day in front of me, but in a few days we'll have Abby Johnson herself on and hear of her story. So again, if you're like, okay, who is Abby Johnson? Abby Johnson was the youngest Planned Parenthood clinic director in the country. She was employee of the year and doing it, thinking she was helping other women. And then God worked in her life, opened her eyes to reality. And she has been a pro-life champion and helped many others leave Planned Parenthood, helped women who've had abortions, uh, helped women who've decided not to, just a, a really important ministry. As I said, I found out about her ministry when a woman who was working at Planned Parenthood called our show, an anonymous caller, said she was Christian, but she was conflicted. She was getting paid big bucks to work there. And, and when she took the job, was a single mom and then ultimately married to a man in the military so that he needed the money. And, and um, we spoke to her candidly with love, but candidly why she could not work there. One of the most moving calls we've ever had in the history of the broadcast why this had to be her last day. It was a Friday, I believe, why this had to be her last day. And she, she had to call and not go back. She never went back. And through the help of friends, made it through the financial transition and things like that. And Planned Parenthood pressured her to, to come back. And so she's just been following the Lord. And uh, in fact, maybe I can even find her, the, the email that she sent, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to bless you. Let me see if I can find this here. If I type in testimonies here, anonymous. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. Let, let me read this to you because this will bless you. This happened right on this broadcast. Uh, subject, I was the anonymous Planned Parenthood worker who called your show. And she wrote this. This was November 8th, 2018. I just wanted to tell you, thank you for taking my call that day and praying for me. You would not begin to imagine where I am now and what all I'm involved with. You were the bridge that led me back to God. And I can never repay you for that. You saved me. Thank you. No longer anonymous. Crystal Eldridge, former, all caps, former Plant Parenthood manager in Winston-Salem. God bless Crystal. If you happen to be listening, a whole lot of people are blessed by your testimony to this moment. So, friends, get out to see the movie this weekend. Really, do, do it. Take my word for it if you have to. Get out and see the movie. Bring your friends. Bring those who say that, you know, well, I differ with you. I'm pro-choice. Ask them if they'll come and see the movie. All right? And, and the movie fairly pre presents the abortion side. doesn't demonize the people on the other side and show, you know, caring and caring, thinking they're doing the right thing for the moms and, and all this stuff. Okay? So uh, get out. See the movie. If you're... If your kids are old enough to have a serious conversation about abortion, they understand what abortion is. I was talking to a 12-year-old the other day. Uh, something came up, and I mentioned, I said, you know what abortion is? No, never heard of that. They're raised in a good home, and so I haven't heard of it. That's, that's fine. But if it's a conversation they've had, if it's something they, they know what it is, then it's, it's a movie you should take your kids out to see. Pastors, share it with your congregations. Tell them to go out and see it. And then we'll all know we have to do something. 
we'll all know we can't sit back. We'll all know that we have a sacred responsibility. Abortion, legalized abortion on demand, could be a thing of the past in America. And we could become, only by the grace of God and divine intervention, we could become a, a culture of life, a culture that cares for all, from the baby in the womb to the mom struggling about having a baby, to the dad regretting his choice to impregnate his girlfriend, to all the different scenarios and situations, from the baby in the womb to the hurting poor, from the baby in the womb to the elderly who don't seem to have anything to offer anymore. May we become, by the grace of God, a culture of life. Just as freedom has been a foundation to us from the beginning of our nation, because of which we were able to overcome the evil of slavery, because ultimately we are a people of freedom. In the same way, because life and liberty, the pursuit of happiness, have, have been taken as inalienable rights given to us by the Creator, and that begins with the most innocent and the most vulnerable, and it continues to the ones that can't fight for themselves, may we become once again a culture of life. May God use this movie, Unplanned. May the demand for it spread across America in, in a shocking way, like holy fire, so that, so that there are not enough theaters to show the movie. May the, may the effects be massive. May we be ready for the counterattack and ready to be here as ambassadors of life. Back with you tomorrow.